Amen. Amen. I want to invite you to take a copy of God's Word and be finding with me the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 through 16. And as you're finding that, I want to draw your attention to the screen and uh, I want to introduce to you officially, and if you receive one of these ministry reports, you can see a, a biography in there uh, about Taylor and uh, Kaylee Pike. And uh, so we hope today, on your way in or on your way out, that you'll pick up one of these ministry reports. Uh, we want to get you that a week ahead of time. Next week is our year-end business meeting, and so we'll be ready for that. But you'll see a complete bio uh, of Taylor and Kaylee uh, in this ministry report, and we want to give you opportunity to read through that and get to know them. Taylor is currently serving uh, as a a family intern at Ninth and O Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. He hails from Fort Payne, Alabama. Uh, God called him into uh, family children's ministry. He uh, went to Southern Seminary to be trained in that. He received a, a Master of Divinity from uh, the Graham School there uh, at Southern. Uh, Kaylee uh, hails from Louisville, and so he met his wife there. He currently is working, both of them are, for uh, Chick-fil-A uh, as managers and team leaders, and so we're really excited about how God has brought us uh, together. Our personnel team has fully vetted uh, Taylor and Kaylee, and we've got to spend time with them, and uh, we're excited to be able to introduce them to you uh, and hope to bring them on next week and affirm that. The second sheet of that bio talks about just what will our staffing ministry plan look like next year? And so what will my responsibilities be? What are Brian's responsibilities? What are Taylor's responsibilities? What are Justin's responsibilities? And so you'll sort of see how those things complement one another and how they fit. And so today at the close of service, our personnel team, Scott Harper, Kevin Flynn, and Todd Belcher will be up in the office area. And so if you have questions, if you want to get to know Taylor more before Wednesday night, or if you have questions about that, you can visit with those guys uh, in the office area. And then Wednesday night from 5 to 8.30, Wednesday night from 5 to 8.30 during VBS, really an hour before VBS until the end of VBS, uh, Taylor and Kaylee will be right here, and they will be hanging around the sanctuary, and they will be outside, and they're going to be upstairs. They're just going to be all throughout our campus. And uh, we want to give you an opportunity to meet them uh, before we actually uh, invite them to come on staff with us next Sunday. And so we hope that you will uh, do that. You say, Preacher, do you believe uh, that God's working in this young couple and bring them here? I really, really do. They have a lot of education, uh, especially Taylor. He has a strong sense of uh, call. Um, they don't have a ton of church ministry experience, but everywhere they've been, all of their folks uh, really just brag on the faithfulness of the Lord and how he's used them. And so I don't know how many of you all uh, remember bringing uh, me on, or uh, if you've been here for a long time when you brought Craig Davis on, or Ronnie Rains, or when we brought Brian and Jenny on, or when we brought Justin on. We've normally brought people on that just not had a ton of experience, and what God has done, it's been just really gracious to grow them up in our midst. And so if you say, uh, Preacher, are, are these folks going to tell me everything I need to do uh, and know to raise a godly family? Well, they're expecting their first child at the end of August. And so some of y'all are going to teach them things about family ministry, right? 
And if you say, what are they going to do? They're going to keep you rooted and grounded, pointed to God's word, and they're going to encourage you in that whole process. And so we're thankful to be able to present them to you this morning. We really hope that you'll come out and meet them during VBS on Wednesday from 5 to 8.30, and then uh, we will vote on officially extending a call to them uh, next Sunday. And then keep your ministry report open, because I'm going to refer to it uh, here a couple of times uh, during the message this morning. We're going to be preaching on serving one another for the health of the body. Serving one another for the health of the body. We're just going to be focusing during the month of July on service and how God calls us to serve Him. And last week we looked at serving one another through love, and we talked about how important that is. We looked at that Galatians passage and about how love has to be one of those foundational principles which motivates us in our service. And today we want to make sure that we recognize another foundational principle in our service to the Lord, right? We're not serving to earn anything, and we're not serving to uh, prove anything. What we're doing is we're serving for the glory of God, and we're not only serving for the glory of God, but we're serving for the health of his body because Christ loves the church. And so I want to encourage you to just hold that ministry report out for just a minute because we're going to refer to it a couple of times when we get done reading this passage of Scripture this morning. But Ephesians chapter 4, and I want us to begin reading in verse 1. Uh, you may have this marked in your Bible. I have preached this. Uh, today makes the fourth time in 16 years that I'm going to be preaching this text. I'm preaching it in a little bit of a different way uh, today, certainly uh, with fresh and new illustrations. But I want to uh, help you understand this is one of those texts that I really feel like that when I stand before the Lord, he's going to say, why didn't you preach that every year at Calvary? Why didn't you preach that particular passage every year at Calvary to help us understand how we uh, can serve the Lord and serve one another uh, for the health of the church for the glory of Christ, that his bride may be healthy and be made much of. I, if you want to uh, be a friend to me, be a friend to my wife. If you uh, want to, for me to be distant, just treat my wife bad. Uh, I would say that's true of all of you, isn't that true? If you want someone to think a lot of you, you normally hope that they treat your family well, and vice versa, you're Spouse would hope that they treat you well. And I would say to you that Jesus loves his church. Jesus loves everyone who's been born again. He loves everyone who he has bought uh, through his sacrificial atonement, through his shed blood on the cross, through his victorious resurrection. Jesus has died for us. He loves us. And you know what he's doing? He's building his church is what the Bible says. He's building his church universally throughout his entire kingdom, but he's also building his church locally in different areas, in different communities, in different towns, multiple churches sometimes in different areas. And so today I want us to think about how we can serve one another for the glory of Christ and for the health of his body, for the health of his body, because he wants us to be healthy individually, but he wants his body to be healthy as well. So let's begin reading in verse 1. Uh, Paul's writing. There's some question about where he's in prison at. Is it Caesarea? Is he in prison at Rome? Traditionally, they, uh, people believe that he penned this letter when he was in prison in Rome. But he says in verse 1 of chapter 4, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord. 
a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. There is one Lord and one faith and one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions, into the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles and the prophets, he gave the evangelists and the shepherds and teachers, or the pastors and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What do you think this morning makes the largest impact or the biggest impact on a child's spiritual development? For all of you who are parents or grandparents here and you're praying, you're hoping that your child will uh, grow up to love the Lord and to serve Him and to know Him, and not just while they're in your home, not just while they're in uh, elementary school or junior high or high school, but as they go out and they launch their own homes. Is it uh, dinner as a family and being able to talk through Scripture? Is it parents who don't miss special events? Is it having uh, church friends and making sure that your kids are always around the right type of kids? Is it being a good Christian, uh, having your kid enrolled at a good Christian school or a good Christian daycare? Is it being at church with a vibrant children's ministry and a vibrant student ministry? What would you all say is the number one thing that God uses to help our children know Him and grow in Him and stay anchored and connected to Him for their whole life? LifeWay's recently done some extensive research on that. And Jana Magruder has published all this research in a book entitled Nothing Less, Engaging Kids in a Lifetime of Faith. I want to encourage you and uh, recommend this book to you. I've not read it yet. I've read the reviews about it. I've read the summary of it. And I can't wait to put my hands on it because they have done extensive research on what is it that God is using primarily to keep connected Keep kids and children connected to themselves and to become lifelong disciples of the Lord. And so do you want to know what those first five things are? The book deals with the top ten results of what God's using to keep kids connected to him for their whole life. Are, are y'all want to hear the top five? If you, if you do, say amen. All right, write these down. This is not part of the message. It's not part of Ephesians, but just by way of introduction. 
you need to know that the results of this research shows that the five leading causes of spiritual health for your child that keeps him connected to Christ and his church as adults is number one, the child regularly reads his or her Bible while growing up. They read their Bible growing up day to day. They just don't read it at Sunday school time or at life group time or they just don't read it maybe at a family worship gathering time, but they become self-feeders. What does that mean? That they're reading the Bible uh, devotionally, um, they're uh, reading the Bible and meditating over it, they're thinking through it, they're giving themselves to the Word of God. That's number one. Here's the second thing that they have found. That kids who have an active prayer life, but specifically, right? So you guys are saying, well, they read the Bible and they pray. Uh, that's a no-brainer. But you need to read the, the book because it goes into deeper research about how the kids read, about how the kids wrestled with the text, about how the kids would ask questions when they'd say, I don't know who this is, right? I don't know how to understand this. And then concerning praying, they prayed in two primary ways. Their parents taught them to pray, first of all, for others. So when they prayed, they, they just didn't thank God for what they had. They certainly praised the Lord, and that's appropriate. They just didn't pray about their own fears or their own needs, but their parents led them first and foremost to pray for the needs of others. So they prayed for other friends. They prayed for other classmates. They prayed for other families in the church. And so, number one, they regularly read his or her Bible while growing up. Number two, the child regularly spends time in prayer, praying for others, and then thanking God for what he has done for them and what he is doing in them. And then number three is this, is how it pertains to the message today. The child regularly served in church while growing up. A matter of fact, under this particular thing, uh, they talked about the old cliche about how kids were dragged to church with their parents, and they said, we don't want to present it in that particular type of light, but it was parents and families that served regularly at church and included their kids in that service. Those kids grew up to serve the Lord. So what does that say? It says, dads, you need to be serving. Moms, you need to be serving. And more than anything, you need to allow your kids to serve. And so moms and dads, I'm going to give you the other two, but as it pertains to this word today and the message today, Let's not protect our kids from serving others in and through the local church. That's really, really important. Uh, Tracy and I feel like we could testify of that in our own lives once we became believers as uh, older teenagers. And then we can testify about that in our own children's life, about how it's not a chore for them to be able to set up a VBS stage or how it is for them to serve in a particular area of ministry and so consequently, when they go off to college, they're looking for places to serve, right? They're looking for places to serve. And so it's really, really important. The child regularly serves in church while growing up. Number four, the child listened primarily to Christian music. They talk a lot about uh, just what the kid is taking in culturally and how the parents help them recognize that and how culturally they have a diet every day of not just the word and not just the prayer, not just serving, but how that message of the gospel is being reinforced in song, how important that is. And then number five, top five, the child participated actively in mission trips and mission projects. And so I want to 
encourage you guys to think about that just a little bit. And as you think about it, where are you as a family in those particular areas? Are you leading your kids in Bible study and prayer, primarily praying for others? Are you leading your children in serving through the church? Uh, what they're listening to by way of Christian music? Are you encouraging participating with them on mission trips or projects? And so I, I want you to grab a copy of this. This is just still by way of introduction. Grab a copy of this report. There should be enough for one per family. And then uh, if there are extras, you all feel free uh, to grab these and take these. This report should say 2019 and 20. If it says 2018-19, you've got last year's report somehow or some way, but you should have 2019 and 20. And what this report uh, represents is it shows all of our different ministry teams and uh, ministry areas that we seek to serve. There are 87 different people serving our church through these particular ministries in these particular ways here at Calvary, 87. That number 87 represents about 32% of our average attending adults. So out of all of our adults that attend, this uh, 87 people who are actually serving represents about 32% of that. That's pretty good, right? So the national average is still right around 20% of the people uh, do 80% or more of the majority of the work in the local church. But that represents about 22% of our total attendance. And so uh, our total attendance being around uh, 400 folks, it represents around 32%, or excuse me, 22% of our total attendance, and it represents about 17% of our total number of different people who attend monthly. So uh, through any month, if you take a, a month and we tracked everybody who came in and out of the church, there are around approximately 525 different people who come in to worship here at Calvary. Uh, here and upstairs in our children's worship area and our we worship our nursery. About 525 different people. So that represents, 87 people represents about 17% of our total number of people. You say, preacher, is that good or bad? Uh, it's okay. I wish, I wish that everyone who was born again, so if you're here today, even if you're a guest, you're a non-member, but you're born again, I pray that God would move you to membership and then plug you into service somewhere. I tell folks as we go through connecting with Calvary, man, we don't, we're not looking for just pew sitters here at Calvary. We're looking for people who are going to plug in, they're going to grow in God's word, they're going to become connected with the body, and then they're going to look to serve Christ by serving others in and through the ministry of Calvary Baptist Church. And so what's neat about this is there's some takeaways. And so I've been talking to our church council about some of these uh, takeaways been talking to our staff guys about that. And so what are we to make of 87 total people serving out of a potential 525 folks? Here are a few takeaways, and then we're going to see how what I'm saying today is reinforced all throughout this passage and text as the word stands for itself. First of all, we must equip more college and high school and junior high students for ministry. On that ministry report, out of the 87 people that you see there, there's not a lot of college students, and there's not a lot of high school students, and there's not a lot of junior high students. Now, I want to say to you, Timothy was pastoring the church at Ephesus at 16 years old. Hello? 
Timothy was pastoring the church at Ephesus at 16 years old. If you think that we can do a better job equipping our junior highs and our high school students and our college students to not only love the Lord, but equip them to serve and then let them loose to serve, if you believe that there is room for that, say amen. So we must equip more college and high school and junior high students for ministry, but not just them alone. We must help everybody to understand um, that there's a ministry opportunity for everyone here who's been born again. If you've been born again, you have a spiritual gift, and so God wants to use that giftedness to serve him through and in the body of Christ. And it's a wonderful, wonderful blessing for you to do that. So if you're here and you're a widow or widower, if you're a senior adult and you think, man, I don't have much to give and I want that younger generation to serve, there is a place for you to serve as well. If you're here today and you're a middle-ager and you're busy making an income and a life and you're just really tied into a lot of things, there's a place for you to serve as well. So number one, we must equip college and high school and junior high students for ministry. Number two, we must make sure everybody in the body of Christ understands that you're gifted and there's a place for you to serve and we must work diligently as leadership and laity to encourage people to serve. But number two, we must provide places for those two groups of individuals to serve, for the young to serve and for the older people to serve. There needs to be active places to where we say, here's a great place for you to serve, right? You may not want a seventh grade boy serving as a deacon, right? But you may want a seventh grade boy serving as a greeter. You may not want a high school girl uh, leading an adult uh, life group class of uh, ladies who are in their 40s and 50s, but that same high school girl may be able to lead a life group of uh, children who are in uh, first grade and second grade, right? Are, are y'all understanding where I'm going with that? We want to make sure that we not only encourage service, but that we provide areas for them to serve. Here's another thing. We must increase our ministry scope and foundation by broadening involving more members at the foundational level. Bottom-up, not top-down ministry. My brothers and sisters, I want to say, we have done a better job at that in the past than we are doing right now. We have done a better job involving more people in ministry down here on a foundational level so the body can be built up. So there's a fewer people serving now, and so you get this cylinder, or another word if you're in ministry, uh, people will know, a silo effect in ministry. And we have to equip more people and do a better job including more people in exercising their spiritual giftedness in the Lord so that the base of growth here at Calvary in our community can continue to be all that God possibly would want it to be. We must encourage more attenders to become members because there are some places that only members can serve. Uh, a matter of fact, uh, several places that only members can serve in ministry and you may say, why is that, Pastor? That seems a little bit odd. If I'm a believer and I'm faithful, shouldn't I just be able to serve? Well, membership really does matter. It says, one, first of all, who Christ can count on in the local church context. Who's going to be here? Who's going to be an active part? Who's going to be contributing, praying, seeking? Who's going to be vested? It, it says that. But here's another thing that serving uh, and becoming a member does. It allows you to serve in uh, deeper and deeper ways and capacities, right? Uh, the doctrine of the church should uh, be committed to church members who have taken that covenant 
membership agreement that says, I believe like that, and that's the way that I will teach, right? So you don't want people coming in that's going to teach uh, here at Calvary Baptist Church that, uh, let's say, a person who is identified with a different gender or they're struggling with homosexuality, you don't want me bringing a person like that up and saying it's fine for them to preach here at Calvary. First of all, you would say to me, wait a minute, preacher, you're supposed to be more rooted and grounded than that, right? And then secondly, you're going to trust people that we bring to the pulpit or to a teaching classroom somewhere are people who are going to be rooted and grounded. And only, watch this, only in the confines of membership are we really allowed to go that deep with people and talk to people about what are their convictions, what do they believe doctrinally, are they willing to stand on the word, are they going to yield and submit themselves to Christ through the body of the church, right? We can't oppose that on people who don't give themselves to membership. If that makes sense, say amen, right? So let me give you an example. At our house, man, if we... If you're a member of our house and our family, you know that one of Pop's uh, guidelines is you're going to treat Pop's dog pretty good, right? A Wrigley, you can't treat like he's some uh, wicked stepchild, right? You're going to have to feed that dog, let that dog out, water that dog. You're going to have to treat uh, Wrigley well. But why is that? Because you're a member of our house, right? Um, but if Bobby Maxwell comes over and Karen comes over to the house, I'm not saying to Bobby, hey, Bobby, will you feed Wrigley? Karen, will you, make, will you go in there and make sure everything's okay in his kennel? I, we don't do that. Why? Because there are guests in the house. Are you tracking with me? Amen. There are certain privileges that come with membership and certain responsibilities that we don't want to impress or uh, impose on someone who's yet to make that commitment. And so if you're here today and you're a regular attender but you've not joined, I want you to know something. Uh, joining a local church is biblical. Joining a local church is God's will for your life. And joining this church would be a blessing to us because you're needed. And uh, having an opportunity to be able to watch over you in a better way is my responsibility. And it's a tremendous, tremendous blessing. And so encouraging more attenders to become members. And then last but not least, we must help communicate that every believer is gifted, every believer is gifted, and so therefore there's places for all people to serve, and we have to make sure, watch this, we have to make sure that we are helping people to understand you're not serving for the sake of earning merit or earning your way to heaven, but you're serving because Christ is in you and he is working out of you. He's working out of you. So, preacher, is that your prime motivation in preaching a series right in the middle of the summer on service? It is. We're closing out a church year and we're starting a new church year. And I would just say to each and every one of you, serving the Lord in and through the local church as you come on Sundays to worship, as you serve in different ministry capacities, as you give yourselves away to others in the context of in the local church and through the local church, it is a tremendous blessing. You say, but I like to serve in this particular social media or, or a social uh, arena or avenue, uh, this particular club, or I like to serve in this particular club. I hear more and more of this all the time. I believe in giving, but I'm more philanthrop philanthropic in my giving, so I like giving online, going online to one of hundreds now of places you can just give online. I want to give online. 
Preacher, what's wrong with that? I'm going to tell you what's wrong with that. Are y'all listening today? Are you listening today? You're not listening. Stand to your feet today. But we're not going home. We're not going home. Stand to your feet. I want you to understand this and get this. Everyone stand to your feet today. Why is that completely different than serving in and through the local church? Because only the church, only the church, has been given the assignment to make sure that the gospel is directly tied to every ministry that we do. You can give money away online. Gospel's not going with it 99% of the time. You can say to some community outreach or some community civil organization, I want to join up and I want to be a part. The gospel's not attached. Are are y'all tracking with me today? And so what's vitally important in that is, is your service come with a benefit to you? Or does your service to the Lord come with a cost to you because you're being likened and identifying with Christ? If you understand that now, say amen. Amen. Now sit down. Now you won't forget that because you'll say, that preacher, you made a stand up right in the middle of that message. If you say, preacher, you're pretty emphatic about that. Do you believe that is a, a certainty? I absolutely do. And now I want to walk you through this text and show you why. First of all, God calls us to serve the body of Christ in unity. I want you to look with me at verses 1 through 3 and then verses 4, 5, and 6. And notice how unity, we serve the body of Christ. We bring glory to the name of Jesus as we are unified in the body of Christ. He says, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you, I encourage you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. That's a familiar language that we Heard Paul use in Galatians last week, remember your calling in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with all patience, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. So what does that mean? We serve the body of Christ in unity. That means we agree together in our disciplines, our spiritual disciplines and in our behavior. We just don't believe that people can go out and live any way they want to and be a member of the local church and serve one another and bring glory to the name of Christ and glory to his church by just living in disobedient ways. But God calls us to walk in a way worthy of Christ. This means not contradicting the one who called you, but exemplifying the one who called you. So inside the confines of the local church, we encourage one another to walk in a way that is indicative of the way that Christ walked but not in a way that's contradictory in the way that Christ walked. But we walk in humility and gentleness. I am so terrible, not so much at humility, but at gentleness. It seems like more and more God's stretching me and growing me in this area of humility. But sometimes if you deal with me very much, you know I'm just not the most gentle type of guy in the world, right? I just lay it out there and I give it to you flat. Hey, preacher, what's the matter with your cubs? I don't know, but they're a lot better than your reds, right? Somebody say amen, right? What's, what's the matter with your catcher? I don't know, but he's a lot better than your catcher. I'll just throw it right back out there. And so I'm needing to learn how uh, to allow the Lord to, to bridle my tongue and to behave in more of a, a gentle way. So we walk in humility and gentleness. And he says we should walk with patience, bearing one another in love. What does that mean? Bearing one another in love. It's a posture of love. What is that posture of love in the New Testament? It's a towel. It's being knelt. It's washing the disciples' feet. 
It is when you are called to lead, when you are called to serve. It's doing it in humility and patience, and it's this posture of love. I am preferring you. I'm preferring you over myself. It's maintaining the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. What does that mean? It means our oneness of Christ, the unity of the Spirit. Again, just referring to last week, we're not all out of the same cookie-cutter mold, right? We all have the same dough, the same substance. It's Christ in us. But we come in different shapes, right? We come sometimes in different colors, and we are to maintain the unity of Spirit in the bond of peace, that oneness in Christ. But we not only agree together in our disciplines, look at verses 4, 5, and 6. We agree together in our doctrine. Seven times in three verses, in verses 4, 5, and 6, the word one is used to describe our theological unity. We have to work at relational unities. Gentleness, patience, humility, bearing one another, assuming that posture of love. We have to work at that relational unity. But Paul writes as if this doctrinal unity is a given. What does that mean? Now watch this. He means concerning the essentials of the faith, the foundational elements that make Christianity Christianity, there is no room for wavering. That means you, you can't decide whether you believe Jesus was born of a virgin or not. It means you can't, you can't decide on your own if you believe a person, once they're saved, is always saved, or if they can be saved today and lost tomorrow. You, that's not yours to decide because it's very clear in Scripture. A matter of fact, he talks about this theological unity as being such a fact of the church, and it's due to these common factors, that there is one Lord. That means we have one master. We don't believe in a plurality of gods. We believe in one God, and his name is Jesus Christ. If you believe that to be true, say amen. We know that God makes himself known as the Father, as the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but we're still talking about the oneness, the Trinitarian oneness of God. We know that he speaks of one faith. What does that mean? That means there's one avenue, there's one framework, there's one set of tracks that this oneness, that this God makes himself known. There's not 18 different ways that you come to know and understand this God. What he's trying to say to you is there is one faith. There's one proper way to understand him, to acknowledge him, and then to serve him. There's one faith. There's one baptism. What does he mean? There's one profession of faith. A person just can't go out there on a the golf course on Sunday and look at the tree and say, man, I thank God for you. I just... I'm so grateful to be out here in your creation. I'm so thankful to have a part of this golf course. And then come in here and say something to me over lunch like, hey, Pastor, I worship, but I worship on the golf course. And I worship sort of golf as my God because I really believe God allows me to see himself most clearly through a golf ball and an iron iron. That's all hogwash, right? What is the profession of faith in the New Testament? What was that? Somebody walking a sawdust trail? Does that mean no one ever was saved until the 1800s? No. The profession of faith was this. Jesus changed my heart. He convicted me of my sins. He let me know I was a sinner. He led me to repent or turn from my sins. 
I believe that he died on the cross, rose from the grave. I asked him to forgive me of my sins and become the Lord of my life. And he changed me. And because he changed me, my profession of faith was not that I shared a testimony for 10 minutes or that I started serving in the church. It was that I identified with him in watery baptism. Believer's baptism. If you understand it, say amen. That was the profession of faith. That is the profession of faith in the New Testament church. One God and Father over all, who is over all, through all, and in all. It means that there's no question that God is sovereign. He created us. He sustains us. He's coming again for us. No one is above our God. If you believe it, say amen. So we agree together in our disciplines, our behavior, but we agree together in our doctrine. And then number two, we not only serve the body of Christ in unity, but we serve the body of Christ as we, uh, in diverse ways or through diversity. But grace was given to each one of us, verse 7, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. We receive the giving nature of Christ in the gifts that he gives us. He's mentioning here the spiritual gifts. I'll reference Romans chapter 12, verses 6, 7, and 8. I will reference 1 Corinthians chapter 12, chapter 13. You can study those and look at those spiritual gifts that God gives us when we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior, but we receive this giving nature of Christ. Preacher, I hate to serve. Are you telling me that as a born-again believer that part of my new nature is that I'm going to have a nature to serve? Yep, it is. And you're going to normally serve in and through the local church for the glory of Christ and that the gospel is connected and you're going to serve, other, going to serve willingly for others. You say, how do I get that? Only Christ can do that work in you. Only Christ. Listen to me. You can't give away a life that you don't possess. Did you hear what I said? You can't give away a life that you don't possess. But if Jesus is your Lord, you can willingly give that life away. You can willingly say, this is no longer my life, but it's his life. And I no longer live this life according to the flesh, but I live this life according to the one who, who gave himself for me. I give the life of Christ in me. I give it willingly away. So we receive the giving nature of Christ, but we serve the body of Christ through our diversity, through our different spiritual gifts. Uh, also, we serve the Lord as we thank the Lord and recognize the different leadership gifts that he's placed in the church. So not everyone's gifted in mercy, and so some people have to really work hard at mercy. Not all people are gifted in exhortation or encouragement. Not all are gifted in prophecy. It may make you really uncomfortable to call sin, sin, to call black, black, call white, white. It may make you really nervous. And then some, some of you here, you may say, oh, no, sin is sin and righteousness is righteousness. And God's given me a, a lot of liberty to be able to call that out. And what God does is he takes all of these gifts that he's given us with the new nature that we have in Christ, and he uses him to build up the body. We're not all gifts of we don't all have gifts of prophecy or of teaching or of service or of mercy or of giving, but God brings it all together. And then we recognize and thank God for these different gifts. The apostles, who were these eyewitnesses of Jesus, the prophets who were 
responsible for foretelling and establishing the word of God. These evangelists uh, who were uh, charged with the responsibility of being itinerant preachers who were going just from place to place, missionaries who were preaching the good news and proclaiming the gospel in different ways. And by the way, Paul tells Timothy, hey, Timothy, don't forget to do the work of an evangelist. And so it's something that we realize that maybe we're not all equally gifted in, but that it's all our responsibility to make sure we're going out and sharing the gospel. And then he talks about pastors and teachers whose responsibility is to teach and root and establish growing new believers in the Lord. And so what are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying this. Listen to me. Inside of service to the local church, There is a place for everyone to exercise the spiritual gift that God has given you. And it's unique and it's special. It's needed. It's going to bring glory to God. And it is something that is going to be a blessing for you, for your family, for the church, and for the glory of the name of the Lord. Listen to me, folks. We are not full up and and, uh, and, uh, where we're saying your service is not needed. Preacher, if you got 87 people here serving, I think that's enough. I want to say to you, listen, we need uh, every person who comes in here who's born again serving God through that spiritual gift so God's being made much of. If you believe that to be true, say amen. And when we can't hold them all, man, let's pack this place out and start sending folks out and plant a church somewhere else where a new group of people can bring their giftedness together and serve the Lord in that particular way as well. And so we serve the body of Christ through diversity. Wouldn't it be horrible if all of y'all had the same giftedness of me? How odd would this place be if all of y'all looked like me? Steve Goodson is going like this. How odd would it be if everyone in this church, man and woman alike, looked like Steve Goodson? Oh, me, right? His family saying, oh, God, help us. No, right? Uh, And I want you to hear this now. What you may think is a weakness of yours. And you're somehow hearing in your mind or in your heart, that's not viable. That's not going to work. That's not hardly as shiny or as good as so-and-so. I want to assure you, those are whispers from the enemy. Because in your weakness, Christ is made strong. And so when we come to him and just take him what we have, man, God uses it. So we serve the body of Christ through diversity, and we serve the body of Christ in ministry together. Listen to what he says in verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. Preacher, you guys are wanting to bring on this new guy next week, and there's you, and there's Brian, and then there's Taylor, there's Justin, uh, we got Steve. Uh, Shouldn't y'all do all the work? After all, that's what we pay y'all to do. Now, I want you to hear this preacher loud and clear. Are you listening? Everyone in this place, are you listening? Don't make me have you stand up again. (laughs) Listen to what I'm about to say. You do not pay us for what we do. You pay us so that we can do what we do, and we can do it with focus and with intentionality and we can do it with our whole heart because that is what God's called us to. Now watch this. And you verify that calling by calling us into ministry. Are are y'all tracking with me this morning? 
Watch this. If, if we believe in a professional paid clergy, we do not believe in the New Testament. What do you mean, preacher? This is what I mean. Um, the people that God calls, he calls to serve him, to follow him, and for some he calls us to be pastors or teachers or leaders of the church, and he calls us in such a way that the work is so extensive and it takes so much time that there's no way for us to possibly do that uh, on the side, if you will. And so what you are uh, busy doing is you're providing for the one that God has called and placed in your midst. Now watch this. But this idea of a hiring, it's prohibited all throughout Scripture. We're not calling workers to work for us. We are recognizing that shepherds that God has put in our midst to lead us. If y'all are tracking and understand the difference in those two things, will you start nodding like this? Now, I know some of y'all are saying, well, where is the accountability come in that? First of all, uh, you should never call somebody who um, is looking for a paid gig in ministry. Because the scripture says people who are looking for a paid gig in ministry, a paid job in ministry, are hirelings. They're hirelings. You should look for people who will serve Jesus whether they're paid or not. Preacher, Belinda, stop paying him. We're going to test that this week. And I think Belinda would tell you, I would gladly serve this church if I wasn't paid. I'm going to sell my house. I'm going to sell some cars. Probably sell some of these boys. Hire them out. <laughs> Who said that? Miss Mary, she said she'd buy one. <laughs> <laughs> what are you saying preacher listen to what I'm saying folks it is a subtle difference but it's a very important difference now when people are paid there should be accountability if you understand that say amen you guys don't pay me to lay up in the bed till 11 o'clock every day stay up at night until 1 o'clock online somewhere and then not to do anything you fully expect me to understand, know, be praying over, be leading our ministry forward. And so I would say to you, it's really important that we understand it. We serve the body of Christ in ministry. We are equipped for the work of ministry. And that's what the apostles and the prophets were doing prior to the New Testament. That's what the evangelists and the teachers and the preachers or the pastors are doing now. We're equipping the saints for the work of ministry. We are being built up, verse 12. So what should I do, preacher? You should be equipped for the work of ministry. You should be built up. That means, verse 12, strengthened and encouraged in the Lord. You should give yourself to the growing and learning the word of God. He says in verse 13, we are taught and learned and educated. That means we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, is how Paul puts it in verse 13. And then we are anchored or established and established. We are rooted and grounded in the word, verse 14, so that, why are we equipped? Uh, why are we um, encouraged? Why is it that we give ourselves to learning and growing and giving ourselves to doctrine? So verse 14, 
so that we may no longer be children who are tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Now watch this, folks. Service in and through the local church makes the body of Christ healthy because serving and being equipped to serve is one way that you're rooted and grounded in God's word and so you're going to be established in him and you're going to be able to live for him for all eternity. Isn't that a beautiful picture of what God does in us? Preacher, you just must have knew Jesus growing up. Maybe you didn't get saved till you was 19, but you must have heard the word enough. I knew nothing about Jesus the night that I was saved. I'd heard he had died on the cross. I didn't believe it. I'd heard he had rose from the grave so I wouldn't have to die. I didn't believe it. The night that I was born again, he led me to believe it. And here's the kind of sponge that I was that night. God just did a work in me that a pastor said, if you've been born again, you need to be baptized. I said, baptize me. He said, I'll baptize you this Sunday. I said, I'll be baptized. I was baptized and another preacher said, man, you need to be baptized. And I said, well, I was baptized last Sunday, but you need to be baptized so your mom and dad can see it. So I was baptized the second time. I, I didn't know it. I didn't know that one time was enough, right? Someone said, if you love Jesus, you've been saved. You're going to come back tonight. I said, what do we do tonight? And they say the same thing that we did this morning. I said, I'm here, 19 years old, walking in the back of a church, coming in, sitting down. I didn't know what else to do, but people were saying, when you're born again, this is what God's going to do in you. Tracy's mama said to me, if you love Jesus, you're going to come back on Wednesday nights. Do you know who met in Edmonton on Wednesday nights? Five little old women with the lights out. There's a light on the cross, and they were all huddled together at the steps praying. Janie was the youngest person there, and she was up there at them steps. I came in, I just sat down in the back. I thought, Man, this could be getting weird quick. You say, why is that? I've never been to a prayer meeting with a handful of little old women up there praying in the dark. You say, did you keep going? I did. I went from sitting in the dark and slipping out as soon as they started saying amen and getting up to, they said, come up here and join us, sit in the front. So I sat in the front. After a few weeks, I didn't know enough. I thought, everybody else kneeling. I need to get up here and kneel. So there I am, 19 years old, with six little old women and my future mother-in-law. Why? I didn't know any better. You love Jesus, you're going to give. I just started a lot of money, 10 bucks, fill up my little old car. No, you, you're supposed to give, so I started giving. Can I tell you how thankful I am that I did not have a religious experience to cloudy what I understood the Bible teaching me that biblical service was. I didn't have no one whispering in my ear, you don't have to do that. You don't have to really do that. You'll be all right if you just do this. You can get by with two Sundays a month. You'll get all the benefits. I'm so thankful that nobody taught me that. I'm so thankful that I was so ignorant. As somebody said, you know what? You need to go hug that person because that person needs a hug. What am I supposed to tell them when I hug them? Tell them Jesus loves you. Okay. So go hug somebody and say, Jesus loves you. That guy told me to tell you Jesus loves you. Right? What are you saying, preacher? We grow and we learn. We're anchored and established and we can do it for all eternity. 
I don't have time for 15 and 16, but we serve the body through maturity. We grow in our speech. We grow toward our master. And we are understanding and sensitive to the needs of the body. And so this morning, if you're here, you've never been born again, I want to encourage you. You can't serve and give away and bring, bring glory to God. I thought that elephant was charging me. <laughs> you can't give away what you don't possess. You can't serve and give away what you've not already received. So if you're here today as we stand to our feet and you need to receive Christ, you know that you're still living your life, you're still embracing your sin, you've not acknowledged your sin to the Lord, you've not asked Him to forgive you of your sin or to be the Lord of your life, the master of your life, I want to encourage you to do that today. You can do that up here at this altar area, at these steps. You can do it right there in your seats. But today, will you trust Jesus to be your personal Savior? I would serve preacher, but I just don't like the way things are done, so I choose not to serve. Not your choice. Not your choice. You say, what, what does that mean, preacher? That's sort of what the Sadducee said, right? That's sort of what the religious people said when they were on the road to Jericho and the man had been beaten and robbed and he was laying there bruised and bloody and the guy passed by on the other side, right? But when Jesus' people, when Jesus' people walked by, the Jesus' people got involved and naturally served. Why? They recognized it and God had given them a heart to do it. So they brought glory to Jesus through that. So today, I want to encourage you, if your view of the local church, your view of ministry, your view of service has been really sort of narrow and it's like a cafeteria, you know, you're going into Ryan's and, and there's four bars out there and you just get your plate and you go through and you take this, you take that, you leave this, you leave that. I just want to tell you, that's not the way Christianity and Bible doctrines offered up. We go in humbly and we take what the Lord gives us and then we commit it back to him and say, here it is, Lord. Use me. Teach me. And so today, maybe some of you here need to recommit your life to service and to just surrender to the Lord and let him grow you. And then last but not least, hear this, because there's going to be some of you, no doubt, in a congregation this size, some of you here today are saying, I would serve, but I can't do it as good as so-and-so. I wish I preached like Alistair Begg, but I'm not. I'm not. I'm Elmer Fudd. I've been Elmer Fudd since I come to know the Lord in 1984 and called in 87. I'm Elmer Fudd. I'm Elmer Fudd. I thank God for Alistair Begg. I thank God for Alistair Begg. But if I lived my life trying to be Alistair Begg, I'd not be true to who God made me to be. Now watch this. Some of you who look at someone else, you look at Justin and say, I, I'd go up there and sing, but I can't sing like Justin. I, I'd go up there and sing, but I can't sing like Jeff Allen. Jeff Allen, he sings like, uh, I don't know who's a country singer that's good. 
Garth Brooks. He sounds like Garth Brooks. I'm dating myself bad. Uh, he sings like I'd, I'd sing, but I can't sing like that. Well, I'd greet people, but I don't know where anything's at. If you come by, we will make sure that we walk you through, give you a map, and you'll know where everything is at, even the dirty closets, right? I would, but somehow I can't. I want to listen to me. I'm not the Holy Spirit, but in the authority of Jesus and his word, you, you have to come out from underneath that. If God has saved you, you have tremendous dignity because Christ is in you. And you just serve for, your, for his glory and for your growth and for the health of the body. God, we love you. I'm so amazed that one, you saved me. That God, you're teaching me what it means to serve and to grow. Lord, I'm thankful that you've placed us in a body that believes that and receives your word readily. And so God, at this place, in this juncture, as we embark on a new church year, as we embark on a week of BBS, as we just embark on a life of growth, a, a journey of you glorifying yourself in and through us, God, we surrender ourselves first and foremost to the salvation that you bring, that only Christ has paid for and bought, only that Christ can deliver. So Lord, forgive us of our sins, be Lord of our life for those who have yet to receive you as Christ. Lord, we commit ourselves to growth, to being equipped for the work of ministry, for growing and learning your word. God, we come together in unity as a faith family, saying, God, this is not my preference, but it's about your glory and the preference of others. And so, Lord, do that work in us. God, today, if there's someone here who's saying, I would serve, but I just don't think I can do it like so-and-so. Jesus, thank you that you are enough. That you work in us in ways. Matter of fact, God, I pray that you would teach us just the treasure that's found in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, chapter 3. About how through the foolishness of preaching and the way preachers look and the way preachers act, uh, just through the foolishness of service that you bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Lord, you're not looking for diamonds and you're not looking for shiny vessels that are all ready. God, you take us as a hunk of clay. You breathe life into us. You mold us and you shape us. And then, God, you use us. Lord, may we all be willing to be vessels of honor for your namesake and for your glory and for the health of your body. As we sing today, if you need to come, you come. I would love to pray with you. If you need to pray right there in your seat, uh, you have questions afterwards, I would love to show you the answers to those questions in and through God's word. But you be obedient in these next few minutes as we sing, surrender your life fresh and new to the Lord. Will you do that?